The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. And it won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow, will to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is a fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Amen From the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
there is a storm breaking on America today. It is a financial storm. It is a storm of wickedness. And the call of Jesus is to be converted. Now, to be converted means a radical and total change in how you use your time, your money, and your energy. But most of us have already filled our day with what we think we need to do and want to do. And I would ask you, are are the things that fill your day reflecting the reality of a person who has been converted to Jesus Christ? Because most of you live your life according to the rules of our age. Let me just let me just read something to you out of the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, what does money represent? Money represents time and energy spent, a portion of our lives being given in order to earn that money. People look at me in shock when I say Christians do not work for money. Well, then, what are we going to do? How do, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we pay the mortgage? How do we pay for the car? How do we buy our groceries? Of course we have to work for money. Yes, if you're a pagan, you have to work for money. If you're a Christian, you do not work for money. Let me read it for you. I tell you, this is Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 25. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Well, yes, of course, but wait a minute. I can't live if I don't eat, and I can't live if I'm not clothed. I can't go naked outside. And so we have this false conundrum that faces us. How do we live? If we are not given to the world system, the love of money, how do we live? He continues, look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we just hit it. Jesus is saying, look, don't do the world system to earn money so that you can pay your mortgage and pay your car and buy your clothes and buy your food. He's saying, don't do it. Instead, he's saying, oh, you have little faith. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, verse 30, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, that is, seek to enter in under the rules of God's kingdom. Enter in under the authority of the Lord God of heaven. This is not an easy transition to move from the authority of your boss and your job and your world to move then into the authority of God. That's not an easy transition. I've made that transition in my life. I know it's not easy. It was exceptionally painful for me. It was agonizing for me. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the New Testament, Ten Commandments, if you please, something radical has to happen in a man or woman's life that he will make the transition from earning his salary and adhering to the principles of this world, a dramatic event must happen in your life where you come now under the authority of the kingdom of God and you allow him to rule over you. And he's saying, if you will do that, I will provide for you. And so I've had people say to me, Pastor, are you telling me I should quit my job? No, I'm not. I am saying that you have been under the illusion that you had to go to this place to work because you had to earn money, or you have followed the direction of the Holy Spirit, and he has led you to a place that is your place of ministry, of witness, of testimony about who Jesus is to win that office or to win that shop or to to win whomever to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, if I do that, I'll get fired. Yeah, if you do it the wrong way, if you do it in the flesh, instead of in the spirit of the living God. In other words, I don't choose where I'm going to go and work. And if you made that choice based on the money that you could earn there, you need to get on your face and have a radical change with Jesus where you begin to confess the wickedness of your heart that you would prefer to serve the the powers of this world rather than Jesus Christ. If, however, Jesus opened the way for that job and he sent you to that place, then stand by faith that he will provide for you and he will flow the money through that company or that organization until your assignment there is finished and then he'll withdraw you from that company. Well, then what do I do, pastor? You stand by faith in the name of Jesus and you trust what he's doing in your life. See, there's... I don't know how to talk to you about this. The lies are so strongly ingrained in Americans. Is it any wonder that in Africa, there are many miracles happening, and in America, just about no miracles. The voice of God is is basically not heard in America by very many. Why? Because we have chosen to serve the world, the flesh, and the devil, 
because we thought we had to in order to survive. And so church is over here. The Christian faith is over here. I asked a woman this last week, do you go to church? No, we don't go to church. Well, are you? what do you do? Well, I'm a very spiritual person. What's that mean? Well, I'm very active in yoga. It's a wonderful stretching exercise. It helps clear my mind. Oh, but did you know that yoga is Hindu? So here's a person who was raised as a Christian, became dissatisfied with what was happening in the church, and made a transition to Hinduism. Now, she said, I didn't know that was Hindu. Yes, it's Hinduism. 101. Many Christians, so-called in America, have been utterly deceived by Hinduism and by other isms. I guess what I want to say today is I titled this broadcast, Live in the Fear of God. Live in the Fear of God. And then the honest question has to be asked, am I a Christian? The word Christian just means a Christ follower. Or are you a money follower? Are you a business follower? Are you an entertainment follower? Or do you follow Jesus Christ? You understand, Jesus is very serious about this matter of his kingdom. He died for the right to establish his kingdom in the earth. And most who call themselves Christians today are not followers of Jesus. They're followers of the current trends in dress, in entertainment. They're following the current trends in the marketplace. But they're not Christians. Conversion means a radical transition from the way of the world to the way of Jesus Christ. Early Christians were called people of the way. That is the path. Are you on the path of Jesus Christ? Or are you on the path of Western culture? Going about your life as you see you need to go about your life and you dip your toe in the Christian gospel once in a while, but you're really a follower of the way of prosperity in America? Or are you fed by God? Do you recognize that all of the money that you earn comes from his hand, not from your work? That's going to become increasingly important in your life. If you lose your job, do you know how to touch the throne of God in the prayer closet in such a way that a new opening is made for you with a new assignment from Jesus for where you should go and what you should do to testify about about him and about his kingdom. That's, That's the whole deal. It's not about money. It's not about provision. God will take care of you if you have been converted from the world's system to his system where you no longer worry about what you're going to eat or drink or drive or live, or clothe yourself, it is now totally in his hands. And he will order your steps 
according to his will. Are you that clear about this? If you're not, you need to be converted. Today, I want to talk about a story of conversion because I want you to see how radical the transition is, how radical the change is in a man or a woman's life. Remember, we talked about Saul, who was following his passion for the Jewish faith and how he was arresting men and women and sending them to jail and even having men and women executed because they were followers of the way of Jesus Christ instead of the way of the Jewish Old Covenant. So in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, we find Saul breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. In accord with that passion of his heart, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that he, if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And of course, there he would put them on trial. And if they were found to be Christians, they would be executed. Now, as he is making his way to Damascus, suddenly around him flashes this brilliant light. It literally knocks him down. And he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And his immediate response is, who are you, Lord? Now, why does he call him Lord? Because whoever it is, is extremely powerful. Knocked him down, blinded his eyes. And makes against him an accusation. Why are you persecuting me? We need the the flashing light of God to come upon many in America today and say, why are you ignoring my gospel? Why are you having an alliance with the powers of darkness while you say you are on the way? We need a powerful confrontation in America with the wickedness of the way we live and what we value. Who are you, Lord? And now comes the answer, and it's a sweet answer, but it's a, it's a stunning answer. It's a, it's a bitter answer in some ways. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, he knew all about Jesus. He knew... This man who claimed to be the Messiah had been in Jerusalem. Paul or Saul is a member of the Sanhedrin. Now you understand. If you're a part of the Sanhedrin, you're married. That was a requirement for being a member of the Sanhedrin. You had to be married. But we don't hear about Paul's wife or Saul's wife. He is now set to lose his wife, his job. He's set to lose everything he has treasured. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city and you will be told what you must do. This is certainly no sweet Jesus. This is no cotton candy Jesus. This is a general who is giving orders to one of his traitorous servants. Get up. Go into the city. You will be told what you must do. He's not saying go into the city and and make a decision about whether you believe in me and whether you want to serve me. No. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. See, they heard the sound, but they didn't see anybody. 
They were terrified. So Saul got up from the ground where he'd been forced to to drop down. He opened his eyes, but he was blind. He couldn't see anything. So now this proud, arrogant young man who is succeeding far beyond his compatriots, a man respected. They now take him by the hand. He's blind. And they lead him by his hand into Damascus, not quite the entrance he had planned for himself as the raging lion of Judah to come in and command the arrest of these wicked people following the way. No, it didn't work that way. Verse 9 says, For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. A part of conversion is becoming blind to the world and finally taking a very careful look at who this Jesus is. And many of you who would say you are Christian have never really looked at the claims made by Jesus for himself. The claims are radical. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look at Hebrews, the first chapter. Look at Colossians, the first chapter. Jesus is God. You don't play with God. He does not cater to you. He's blind for three days. He doesn't eat or drink. He has time to think in silence. He has time to pray. Some of you need to be blinded for a week where you just sit in the presence of God and and he brings to you all the passages of Scripture. And finally you begin to understand that God is not playing games. That we have come to the end of this age. That Jesus is going to come in the power and glory of the sky. He's going to come for a people who have made a covenant by sacrifice with him, who have laid their lives down for him. For a people who live in fear of him. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord. I love that. How do I say this? I want that same intimacy with Jesus where he can just call my name and say, Ray, yes, Lord. This last week, I called to my wife. She answered, yes, Ray. (laughs) Because we have a relationship where she can call me or I can call her, and the other one will answer, Yes. Yes, of course. She didn't say, no, don't bother me now. I'm busy. No, she said, yes. And she came to find out what I needed. That's a description here of of the relationship between Ananias and Jesus. Now, please, let me say some things here that may be uncomfortable and you may not understand. There is only one way you can establish 
this kind of relationship with Jesus. And that is first to be converted so that you are clearly under the authority of Jesus Christ. You are not divided in your testimony. You're not divided in your loyalty. You are under Jesus Christ. He is your commander-in-chief. You live in fear of God. You know that he is building his kingdom, and you have agreed that you will be a part of building his kingdom, and you are not building the kingdom of your own or of the devil or of the flesh. You are building the kingdom of God. Your concern is not money. Your concern is not your recreation or your entertainment. Your concern is not for what you can buy, what you can own. You have a singular concern, and that concern is for the man, the general, the commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who dwells in the heavenly estate of the sanctuary. There he works full-time for the salvation of his people. Ananias, yes, Lord. The only way you can establish that kind of relationship is first by being converted, and secondly, you talk to him. Some of you have never heard the voice of God. You're in trouble. The Lord said, my sheep know my voice. If you have not heard from God, then you need to seriously question whether you've been converted. God is very capable. Jesus is very capable of speaking and giving orders and directions to his disciples, to people of the way. The only way you can have that intimacy with Jesus is if you have been crucified with Jesus and now you no longer live, but Christ lives in you, as the Apostle Paul would write later. Ananias, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm right here. You understand he has an open line to Jesus, and Jesus has an open line to him. You establish that open line by being crucified with Christ, by being converted, by being a part of the kingdom of God, and now you are in constant touch with Jesus by establishing the prayer line where you pray without ceasing. You are constantly in touch with Jesus. And he, and he is in touch with you. I want to show you something. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. (laughs) Now, something that just makes me smile. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias was so familiar with Jesus that he even had the courage, albeit foolish courage, 
to argue with Jesus. That requires a level of intimacy that a man who is not converted does not have with God. Now, the interesting part of this is that Ananias could be used by the Lord to go directly to do something that Ananias would not want to do, but would do because he was commanded by Jesus. I listened to a a man last night who claims that he's friends with the Holy Spirit, claims that he hears the Holy Spirit, he's directed by the Holy Spirit, that God speaks with him. And so he begins to explain what the Lord has told him about a 10-year plan for America and how God is preparing now to bless America, that there will be some hard times, but God just, just wants to pour out his blessing on the American Christian church. He did not in any manner speak about repentance or holiness. He did not address the question of obedience or disobedience. Simply, God loves you. And he wants to pour out his blessing upon your life. Everybody clapped, applauded. The man doesn't know Jesus from a fence post. He's full of himself. I hear many people like this. Oh, God's going to do this, and he's going to do that, and, and you're going to be blessed, and he's got something new for you, and he's going to give you a new beginning, and he's going to do this and this and this. Nonsense. Jesus did not die on Calvary to give you the possibility of having a wonderful life on this earth. He died on Calvary to remove your sins, to forgive you, and to bring you under his authority, and to use you then as a disciple, as a witness, as an apostle, as a testimony, as a in whatever way he chose to, for the furtherance of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is not about you and me. This is about Jesus and what his goal is and what he's asking us to do to participate with him. Ananias says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Oh, are you sure you know what you're doing, Jesus? You know what? The Lord did not rebuke him. Instead, he said to Ananias, go. I've given you an order. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I want to go back to verse 11. It says, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In other words, Saul is now in the process of establishing that connection between himself and Jesus. Jesus has spoken, and now he's speaking. He's getting that connection between himself and Jesus. Jesus knows he's praying. And he's talking to Ananias about Saul, who is praying. What prayer does is it opens a connection between us and Jesus that allows him to speak to us in such a way that we will obey and do what he has told us to do. Prayer opens a line that allows God to send forth his righteousness into our hearts and to purify us from all uncleanness. Prayer 
opens the way for God to deal with our hearts. Many of you have prayed, but then you have given up. You've prayed a little a little boy or a little girl prayer. Now lay me down to sleep. Bless me, Jesus. Those are not the kind of prayers that will get through to Jesus. He wants honest, intense, and often verbally allowed prayers where we're crying out to him, where the very center of our being is being dealt with, and he comes in healing power and pours his righteousness into our hearts. And it may be that if you're praying that way, God is not answering you in the way you think he should. Instead, he's talking to some other disciple and saying, look, he's praying to me right now. I'm in touch with him. Now I want you to go do this. We have in the American church followed the gurus who gave us marketing plans for the church and evangelism plans for the church instead of listening to Jesus. Because when Jesus, we didn't hear from him immediately, we turned aside from our prayer life and said, well, I know what I need to do. I'm just going to go ahead and do what I know I'm supposed to do. Wrong. Doesn't work that way. Jesus said, you can do nothing without being connected to me. Without living in the fear of God, you can do nothing for the kingdom of Jesus. You can do much in building your own kingdom. You can do much in building the kingdom of religion on the earth. But it's not for Jesus, and he won't use it. Every plant that is planted by man in his flesh will at the end of time be pulled out and cast into the fire. Even wonderful projects that you can imagine and go after. In the end, he'll throw it in the fire. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias, don't be worried about this man. He's going to suffer. Now, we know from the story of Paul, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. His life was threatened. He was... He was put in prison with his back bloodied in stocks. Paul's life was not easy. And there's no mention of a wife. He lost his wife. She would not go with him on this journey. Ananias went to the house. He entered into that house. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, this wicked, evil man who has done much to destroy the kingdom of Jesus, who has executed the saints, Jesus is going to use. And he's called him to be converted, to be born from above to be crucified with Jesus. Knowing that, Ananias comes and says, with no evidence except the word of Jesus, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, this is chapter 9 of Acts, verse 17. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again. So that you may see again. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Now also, he came, it says, to lay hands on him that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We've got to come back to this primitive gospel of Jesus where there is action and power and total commitment to Jesus, regardless of what the cost is going to be. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. But he at once began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. You see, he's changed sides. He's been converted. He's been born from above. He's been crucified with Jesus Christ. He's laid his life down. It's going to cost him his job, his family. It's going to cost him everything. But he chose Jesus to obey the word of the Lord. It may cost you everything. Are you willing? I came to a place in my life where I lay on the floor hour after hour, day after day, waiting before Jesus. I lost everything. My car. My retirement. I lost everything and was starving to death. And I said, Lord, I'm going to lay here and wait on you. Even if I die. And then he came and spoke. And he asked the question Will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? Yes, Lord. And I've lived that way from that day until now. I was transitioned. from the way of the world to the way of Jesus Christ, where I trust him in every respect for every part of my livelihood, my provision. I trust him with my life because I live in the fear of God. After many days had gone by, verse 23, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch at the city gate in order to kill him. But his followers, that is, the ones who had been converted by his message, they took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And he goes to Jerusalem. And they won't accept him at first. They can't believe the change that has taken place in this man. They think he's trying to steamroll them, to fool them, to discover who the people are so he can kill them. But when Jesus converts a man, he becomes a whole new man. Saul was totally changed. He now had laid his life down for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He has now made the transition where he no longer asks about what he's going to wear or what he's going to eat, where he's going to live. The rest of his life until he lays his life down as a martyr in Rome is going to be absorbed with the work of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do you pray in such a way that you know you have that intimate connection with Jesus in the heavenly realm? Do you know beyond question that you hear from God and you do as he directs you to do? Have you been converted? Have you faced the reality that you must lose your life to gain your life? 
And that if you hold on to your old ways and you hold on to your life, in the end, you will be cast out into the fire. You must live in the fear of God. Well, we're just about out of time for today's broadcast. I want to just very quickly say how much I treasure each one of you who has given this month. We're a long ways from where we need to be, but I'm trusting Jesus. And I'm trusting that he will move in your heart to give, to keep this work of the gospel on the air. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again, Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel. Make your check out to National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 23. 46 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. You can also give online directly to the National Prayer Chapel because Pilgrim's Progress is a ministry of the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online and All of the videos are there. The podcasts are there. Share them with friends. And please, if you haven't yet done so, would you subscribe to this channel on YouTube? We broadcast live at WAVA, 780 AM. And we also broadcast live on the YouTube. If you haven't subscribed yet to our channel on the YouTube, please, please do so. That will help Google spread our message even more widely across the world. So that's all the time we have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've called us to be radical followers of yours. I'm asking, would you open the prayer line Would you speak to every person listening? Would you instruct them on what they must do to come into obedience to your word? Lord, some today are sick or discouraged or downcast. I ask that you would reach out in the glory of your wonderful mercy and touch each one who needs your presence. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, may we live in the fear of the living God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy.